and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Happy you guys are here. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning and you are going to want to check them out. Don't forget, you can also follow me on Instagram for all that great dog training content and more. And one more reminder, guys, if you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating. And if you really love what you're hearing, maybe leave me that little blurb, a little nice review as well. I would greatly appreciate it. Now on today's show, building a balanced relationship. What does that take? What does it look like? We're gonna talk more about that. Then we talk about dog boarding. The holidays are upon us. What should you look for in your dog boarding facility? What kind of boarding situation, dog sitting situation, what's gonna work best for you? Uh, And I'll maybe even give you a little bit of my true feelings (laughs) on some of those boarding facilities. Then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, keep sending them my way. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what amphibians have tails? Yes, what amphibians have tails? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak It Doncast, building a balanced relationship. Now, a balanced relationship. <laughs> That's that, that little key word right there, balanced. We all have relationships with our pets, don't we? To what level of quality that relationship is, eh, that's going to be a little different for each of us, isn't it? Yeah. Now, when we think about a relationship with our pet, what do most people think? Oh, my dog loves me, right? My dog loves me. They give me affection. I give them affection. They they bark at me and tell me when they want to eat. They control everything. It's so cute. It's adorable. And then they get protective over me. And wait a second. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Whoa, time out. That's a balanced relationship? Whoa, well, we all think it is, don't we? Those kind of behaviors become the norm too often. And then we look at that and go, well, that's that's how a dog is supposed to be. That's that's what a relationship with a person is. Now, I know most of you go, David, come on, that's a little extreme. I wouldn't call that acceptable behavior. Good that a lot of you think that, but not everybody does. And this is where we get these imbalances in our relationship with our dogs. Look, I'll be honest, most, most behavioral issues... Um, let, let me, let, well, let's go, let's, let's make the rule this way. Pe- most, pe- most people who raise their dogs from a young puppy into adulthood, and then that dog has behavioral issues, that's because of an imbalance in their relationship that they created from a young age. People don't like to hear that, but it's true. Look, I, the same could be said for children. I mean, could it not? You can look around you and you can see a child with behavioral issues sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that behavioral issue can directly correlate to the lack of balance in their parent-child relationship. Look, when I grew up, a lot of parents that tried to be friends with their children, uh, their children were, excuse my language, (laughs) whoops, Uh, yeah, they were. There's kind of, do, you, do I need to sugarcoat it or can we all just talk the truth here and be honest with ourselves? <laughs> the kids around me whose parents wanted to be best friends with their kids, their kids were, they, they sucked. <laughs> I'll 
those weren't my friends. Those aren't the people I wanted to befriend. Um, and we could even argue that maybe those people aren't the best adults either. Uh, <laughs> and then look at that, full circle. They end up having kids and their kids suck like they did. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> this isn't a human podcast. Let's talk about the dog stuff. But it's true, guys. If we don't nurture a balanced relationship between parent and child, dog and owner, we get behavioral problems. So yes, I can say that most people out there who raise their dogs from young puppies all the way through adults, and then they have these severe behavioral issues, it was an imbalanced relationship, that's a part of it, that got them there. A lot of times when I come in with dogs with like possessive issues or... um. You know, they they, 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 may, they maybe don't like new dogs, they're aggressive with other dogs, whatever. I oftentimes hear, I mean, more often than not, actually, I would say the, the owner will actually tell me, ah, David, I messed up. I did. I spoiled, <laughs> spoiled the dog. We've talked about spoiling a dog and what that actually means, but uh, <laughs> I spoiled my dog and now here I have this monster on my hands. They'll, they know it, they admit it, um, but you see. You see, imbalanced relationship got them these behavioral issues, and they even know it. They know it themselves. I don't know why people do this. I mean, that's kind of the essence of being human. Why do we do these things that are destructive, self-destructive? You know, it, it makes no sense. That's isn't it fun being a person? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I you know I don't know why people like to purposefully screw up their dogs and purposefully create these imbalanced relationships. But I I see it a lot. I see it a lot where there's this purposeful, oh, he's so cute. I'm going to let him do whatever he wants. And oh, he climbs all over. And now oh, he barks at everybody. And then before you know it, it's a two-year-old adult dog that shouldn't be doing those things. And those behaviors aren't so cute anymore. Okay. So imbalanced relationships are, it's, it's the reason we get these issues. Okay. So we have to understand, we have to talk about a couple things when it comes to a balanced relationship with our dog. You know, and the first thing is we have to recognize what what is a balanced relationship? What does that look like? You know, if I had to put it on paper, make it really black and white and simple. What does it look like to have a balanced relationship with your dog? All right, look, guys, it, it kind of comes down to something very simplistic. What does it look like? It looks like a dog who knows how to listen. Some people call that an obedient dog. If you want to use that word, by all means, I think that word gets a little misconstrued sometimes. So I would rather call it a dog who knows how to listen. How about just this? Control. That's it. That's that's it. You, If you have control over your dog, you have a balanced relationship with them, clearly. That's all it takes to create a balanced relationship with your dog, control. And I stress it so much with people, with puppies. If you just create this control from early on, like... Tighten it down, make the rules really crisp, really precise, work your butt off for months, making it really controlled. Then slowly but surely you can back that control off. And it actually, the, the mechanisms that you're implying, you're applying at least, you can back those mechanisms, and the control still stays. The dog still stays a good dog. The dog still likes you. The dog still has a relationship with you. And most importantly, the dog is controlled and listens. Look, guys, I want a dog to be a dog. I want them to go have fun. I want them to play with their friends. I want them to get exercise, stimulation. I want all that good stuff. I want them to go chew sticks, get dirty, go swimming. I want a dog to be a dog. But as their owner, when I say it's time to come inside, it's time to stop, it's time to not go run in the street because there's a car there. 
without these control mechanisms in place, how in the world do you get that? You can't. (laughs) Okay, so that's what leads to a balanced relationship with your dog because what does that mean? If your dog is willing to listen to you in a moment like that, that means trust. Your dog trusts you. Sorry, there's... We have a dog dreaming in the background. (laughs) We're on the dog bed over here behind me. You might hear that. I don't know. Um, Anyway, so if you hear some woof, 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 that's that's dog sleeping. And there it was again. All right, we don't have to listen to them. Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to sit in silence listening for a dog woofing in in their sleep. (laughs) All right, so look, getting back to it. Getting back to it, to build a balanced relationship with your dog, it takes control. People poo-poo when I tell them, yeah, they poo-poo it, uh, when I tell them, look, guys, you got to create control in any aspect of your daily, your dog's daily life that you possibly can. Walking out the front door, sit, stay. Feeding time, sit, stay, release. Coming out of the crate, sit, stay, let me leash you up, controlled, release. How about playtime? I'm going to throw this tennis ball and have you go chase it. Before we do, sit, stay, release. How about a drop it command to go along with that and add some structure, rules, boundaries? You want to create a balanced relationship with your dog. There has to be structure. There has to be control. That's like, you know, it's I, I, people people sometimes think we're going to just, you know, trainers and behavior, we're just going to wave this magic wand and all of a sudden every, all your problems go away and... It's not how it works, is it? It's not. It's not this waving the magic wand. It's consistent work, consistent timing, consistent boundaries, consistent repetition. And then all of a sudden, your dog is going to start going, whoa, I just listened to this person. All I have to do is sit down at the door and I get food. All I have to do, and affection and love and pets. But I act like a lunatic and I don't get any of that. Dude, I would so much rather be controlled. This is great. Not to mention, I've got something to do. This is kind of fun. I like doing it. Why wouldn't a dog want to cue into that? <laughs> no, let's just let them do whatever they want. Let's make it a free for all and no rules in this house. I don't want my dog to I don't want my dog to feel like they have to listen to me. Huh? <laughs> Guys, I, I don't understand why people don't want to put their dogs to work anymore. Mind blowing to me. It really is. It's 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 speaks highly of our society, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, there's a little truth bomb right there. Uh, <laughs> what's wrong with working? It brings fulfillment and it can bring joy, especially when you're a basic instinctual creature. David, you're saying dogs don't have That's not what I said. Dogs do have emotions. Or not going. Um, but you're a basic instinctual creature that needs a job to be fulfilled. It needs something to do to be fulfilled. People don't give their dog enough control and enough to do, and that's why we have bad relationships with them. Look, people don't like to hear this. People don't like to hear this, but dogs who run away from your house, it's one thing if they, you know, run outside and sniff and something and come back 30 seconds later. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dogs that actively seek out the open door and take off. If your dog is a runner, your dog does not feel 100% safe in your home. I know I'm going to hurt some feelings right now. And I'm sorry that you may not like what I have to say, but truth bomb. If your dog is taken off out of your house and is hightailing it out of there, 
why would they run away from a safe place? Why would they run away from somewhere they feel balanced? Why would they run away from somewhere that they feel like they are, it's their home? Why would they run away from somewhere they feel like they can get If your dog is a runner, I can pretty much guarantee that you're ready for it. They either bark at other dogs, bark at other people, are anxious around new people, are nervous sometimes. Maybe they're not the best eater and they leave their food and they graze. Uh, maybe they have some other obsessive behavior. It's probably not healthy or good. Any of these things sound familiar to anybody out there whose dog runs? Because it all connects, guys. It all correlates. This isn't, you know, this is the way this stuff works. And people don't like to hear it. But my job is to tell you the truth. If I don't tell you the truth, like if I say, oh, your dog's running away because it's not trained, but it's okay. Like, well, how is that going to help you? Whereas if I go, your dog doesn't look at you for leadership and guidance. How do I get somebody to step up to the plate as a leader, as 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 a true leader, if I don't tell them you're being a bad leader? Oh, you're hurting my feelings, David. I'm so sorry I'm hurting your feelings. My job is to not coddle you. My job is to give you the info you need to hear. And what you need to hear is if you want to create a balanced relationship with your dog, (laughs) control, rules, structure, exercise, mental stimulation, your dog needs to look at you as a source of guidance, of leadership, of strength. Guys, I want my dogs to view me as a source of strength. And I talked about this a couple episodes back. I'm very, I'm beyond grateful and beyond lucky that there wasn't a day in my childhood that I felt unsafe. You know, my my family, my father, my mother, they provided for us in a way that, that always made me feel beyond comfortable. There was never a second that I questioned my safety, I questioned my well-being, just wasn't. Teenage angst, sure. Uh, (laughs) Questioning my actual hierarchy of needs, not for a moment. Not for a moment. My parents were, were, as a kid, my parents were the epitome of strength to me. They were. And that's awesome. That's, I I wish everybody, I wish every kid could feel that because it's, it's such a comforting, amazing feeling. And wouldn't you want to give that feeling to your dogs? I want my dogs to feel like they have nothing to worry about. It's what I want my dogs to feel. Don't you want that for your dogs? So building a balanced relationship, guys, starts with structure, rules, boundaries, discipline, then the affection. It's how we should create well-rounded humans too, but you know, (laughs) not this podcast. Uh, Psychology is all related, guys. Every animal on this planet learns the exact same way. Believe it or not, we all actually build our relationships with each other, every animal. We build these balanced relationships, different dynamics, different societal rules, if you will, different norms on what an eagle is going to find acceptable in a mate versus you or I. (laughs) Okay, But nonetheless, we all learn through reinforcement and punishment. We all learn through these basic concepts and how we create and build relationships with each other, with our pets. Look, I said this example recently too, and I'm going to say it again because it's applicable right now. Right now, you're either deciding you like what I'm saying or you don't. I'm either reinforcing and strengthening that you like me and you're going to come back and continue to listen. I hope you do. Uh, Or I'm punishing and decreasing the likelihood that you're going to come back and listen. Believe it or not, guys, this is a relationship you and I have. We have a relationship This is a behavior specialist trainer relationship with pet owners. We do. 
And it's kind of cool. Like I've actually, you know, I, I haven't met any of you in person, except maybe my family members and friends that are listening. But I've met you through the internet. We've talked a bit, some of you virtual clients as well. You know, we've met over, over Zoom and whatnot. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a relationship, isn't it? Employer-employee relationship. It's, you hire me, if, if you hire me, then that's what that is, right? It's a relationship. And so this stuff is always happening around us. Every animal is always building relationships or burning bridges, you know. Uh, <laughs> stuff is always going on. This behavior doesn't take a break. It doesn't turn off, right? So let's talk about more about how we build that relationship. Because I know I've said, oh, structure, rules, but well, what does that look like, David? Guys, it looks like the daily walk. God, here it is. <laughs> I think it's going to start getting mentioned in every single segment because that's how important it is. The daily structured walks. What does a walk look like? Your dog is with you, not in front of you. Come on. we. I don't have to rehash this how many times. All right. So... I, I, but at the same time, I can't stress it enough that the most, the most important part, the most important part, the most important part, can I say it one more time, of building a relationship with your dog and training your dog is the walk. Guys, the walk's a bonding experience. And if you do it correctly and you up the quality over the quantity of your walk, it's not that I don't necessarily want you, you know, again, you got like a really high energy breed, by all means, quantity is important, but quality is more important. And if you get that quality walk in, it is such a bonding experience for you and your dog. I can't stress it enough. You want to know another great way to bond with your dog? You know, look, I said rules, of course. But how about, how about, how about some of the fun stuff? Trick training is one of the most awesome ways to bond with your dog. It really is because it kind of helps um, bridge your communication with your dog. And what I mean by that is you're going to find like... Um, if you run into a wall with a certain command, a certain trick, and it takes you a week or two, I mean, sometimes it can take you a week or two. If it's a harder command, something more complicated, it can take you a week or two to really get over it or, or get through it, rather. And once the dog learns the command, it's like the coolest feeling, right? Any of you out there, you can relate. It's a cool feeling once you conquer that. Your dog has the same feeling in that sense, right? It's it, Same feeling. That's not fair of me to say because I can't prove that. That's not what I meant. Um, but you can tell they get excited when they learn something because you get excited and they feed off of that energy. And it, so it's a bonding thing. It really is. I, most people kind of discount how important commands can be. It's not that, you know, they're a great tool. But what about as a tool to build the bond with your dog? Yeah. Teach your dog some fun tricks, guys. It goes a long way toward building trust. How about like a tough thing? Um, if your dog is scared of something, let's say... Uh, you know, years ago, years and years ago, Penny Lane, Miss Penny Lane, we'll go back and talk about her for a minute. When we first got Penny, um, my wife lived in an apartment. It's way back when we were in college. She lived in an apartment that had two stories and had stairs. And, you know, we actually, we never lived in a house besides that that had stairs. Make a long story short, Penny would not go up or downstairs. She was like, she was like a cow, not going downstairs. <laughs> uh, and it took some work. It took some training. And how about Penny wouldn't go over the threshold of a door? Yeah, like literally wouldn't go over the threshold of a door. And I had, guys, I had such a close, such a close bond with that dog. Like I can't, it's one of those things, like it's one of those, you can't put it into words. She was me, her, her and Colby, I mean, Colby Jack, those two dogs, man, I tell you. And I raised them both from puppies, you know. But Penny just, we had this, this close-knit bond. 
And I truly believe it almost was because she had some some small anxiety issues when we first got her. And because we were able to conquer them so well, and I worked with her so close, and we worked so hard and consistently at these things. That's what built our relationship. That's what made our foundation strong from day one. Because from the day I got her, I wasn't catering to her anxiety. I was helping her conquer it. Be a source of strength to your dog. It's how we create balance. Look, guys, dogs want to be told what to do. They do. They want to be told what to do. And so if you tell them, it's okay to be scared. Oh, keep being scared. Keep. They're just going to go, holy sh... I should keep being scared. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, all right? But if I can be a source of strength to my dog and Penny all of a sudden, oh, here's the scary stairs, dad. Nope. What would have happened if I had gone, oh, Penny, it's okay. Don't worry. We're not going up the stairs. It's okay. It's okay. Imbalanced relationship. I'm no longer taking on the leadership role. She thinks maybe she's supposed to take it, but she's anxious. And so that's not going to work out so well. So if you really want to conquer your dog's anxieties and you really want to create that balance in your relationship, you have to push them through these things. Now, I can't tell you every little, you know, how do we do that, David? How do we conquer every Look, the stairs I used a martingale collar. I can tell you that one real quick, but I can't give you every example that could possibly come up to conquer. Martingale collar pulled a little tension, okay? She tried to back away from the stairs, tension on the collar. Not choking her by any, you know, little tension, guys. Just enough that she can't back away. If she stepped one step forward toward the steps, I released the tension and gave her a treat. And she'd go back to pulling away again, and then the tension comes back, and she'd sit there for a minute, and I don't know, okay? And then she'd move forward, and the tension releases. And then I give her another treat. And before you know it, Penny's going, wait a minute. Backing away is not getting me anything. As a matter of fact, it's kind of frustrating, and I don't really want this call. But I move forward, and the tension disappears, and I get a treat. Why do I want to keep moving backwards again? Okay. All of a sudden, she's like, boy, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's giving me good information. This is working really well for me. Food, affection. The stairs aren't turning to hot lava. This isn't so bad. Okay. It truly had a profound impact on my relationship with her. It was incredible, guys. She was an amazing dog. And I can't just say she was an amazing dog because I have to... I have to I have to give myself credit. I have to. We, I worked so hard with her. I did. She wouldn't have been as incredible as she was if I hadn't worked hard. At the same time, she was incredible on her own, right? Okay. So that's how we build this balanced relationship with our dogs. When my dogs are scared, I don't want to coddle them. I want to make them feel stronger. Yeah. Remember, guys, dogs are state of mind. If they're fearful and I go, it's okay, it's okay, essentially I'm telling them, keep being fearful. But if instead I go, hey, stop. They try to get up on me and push up and no, give me some space. And then all of a sudden they give me space and they go, oh, well, this isn't working. Oh, maybe I'll just relax. That's when I go and give them the affection treat, okay? We're not talking about anxiety today, but getting rid of the anxiety in your dog. How could that not help build a balanced relationship? Pretty, pretty straightforward when you think about it, right? So again, guys, it's going to start with a proper daily walk. It's going to start with not catering to their anxiety. It's going to start with doing trick training to help enhance the bond with your dog. It's going to be becoming a source of strength to your pet. That's 
how we create a balanced relationship. Guys, dogs are wired in that hierarchy. They are. They want to be told what to do. And the more you tell them what to do in a balanced way, in a way that you show them it works really well for them, the more they want to listen to you, the more they look to you for that guidance, and the more you have that balanced relationship with your dog. Remember, guys, I don't want my dogs to feel anxious. I don't want your dogs to feel anxious. I want them to feel calm and relaxed. I want them to feel like they have nothing to worry, not a care in the world, right? That's how I felt growing up, and I hope I can impart that onto my dogs, and I hope this information helps you do that with yours. So remember, guys, help create a balanced relationship with your dog by understanding what your dog is, and make sure you cater to their instinct to keep them happy and healthy. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speaky Dogcast, dog boarding. The holidays are upon us. You're traveling. You've got to board your dog. And well, look, I hope you've already made arrangements. <laughs> We're getting a little close. Most places are going to book up pretty far out for the holidays. So, you know, that's the first thing you got to think about. Um, now, look, I can relate to this problem. I can relate to the problem of having to board your dogs because I've got four. And for my wife and I to get out of town it can be a little bit of an undertaking. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest, I, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't trust, I don't trust just anybody with my dogs, right? Um, it's a tough thing for us. It's a tough thing for me to be able to let go of that control uh, and allow somebody else to watch my animals. Now, my dogs, I always have somebody to come to the house. I have somebody stay here because look, it's four dogs. It's a lot of dogs. And we used to have five at one point, right? So it's a lot. It's a lot to ask of somebody, number one. Uh, number two, yeah, keep it here. Keeps it simpler. So, you know, there's different kinds of boarding uh, options out there, right? There's the there's the in-home where I, maybe a person comes and stays at your house with your dog. A lot of people like that option. I get why. Uh, then there's the boarding facilities. And... <laughs> I know too much. I know way too much about what goes on at those places. And look, it's not that they can't cannot be done success. It's not that they can't be done successfully because they can be. But a lot of them are not. A lot of them are not. And it's a tough thing. Look, when you start getting a facility with 100 dogs in it and you've got seven staff members for these 100 plus dogs. I knew a place years ago that took well over 100 dogs during the holiday time. And they had like six staff members. You think that's going to go well? No. And I knew some stories that went on there. Um, not so good stuff, guys. So, you know, boarding facilities scare me. <laughs> if I'm just being honest with you. Um, 
but I don't want to scare everybody because it's not to say that every single one is terrible. It's just that a lot of them are. And look, there's a story coming in just a minute we're going to talk about, and it has to do with a facility in my area. And they're in deep trouble, guys. They're in deep trouble because they screwed up royally. There's no other way to put it. I mean, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't. I'm not, I, I don't. And to be honest, I don't really know much about this facility. I know of them. I don't really know who owns it. I don't, you know, I, I don't know them. At the same time, I do know they were trainers. Look, we'll, we'll talk about this. It's an unfortunate situation. And um, to why we have to talk about boarding a little bit today, you know? So... I offer something in between, right? I offer something in between this big facility and someone coming to your home. What I offer is I take dogs and I board them at my home. So it's not a facility. It's not a kennel. I don't have kennels lined up in, in on my property, nothing like that. I take a small number of dogs at a time uh, when I do boarding and it's done completely out of my home. The idea is we can, you know, best replicate what it's going to be like for your dog at your own home. So it's an easy transition. Now, the other nice thing is, though, we, we still keep the structure, the rules, the boundaries, the training, all that stuff still comes when dogs come to me. So especially, it's it's really nice for my clients. They really like it a lot that the rules, the consistency, it all stays in place even while they're out of town. To be honest, guys, that's my favorite option. If you can, if your trainer where you guys live, if they do boarding, that's who you want to go with. And look, well, <laughs> do your research, right? Know who your trainer is, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, and look, we're all human at the end of the day. Nobody's perfect, but you got to be able to trust the person watching your dogs. I, I I hear that and I get that. And it's it's a big thing. When I take somebody's dog, like I'm taking one of their family members. I'm taking something they care deeply about, love deeply. It's a very personal, intimate thing when you think about it, taking somebody's pet and caring for them. It's it's a big thing. So what do you look for? What do you look for when you want to go to a boarding facility? The first thing, and first and foremost, guys, find friends and family members that board their dogs at places. That's one of the best ways to find a reputable facility is know multiple people that take their dogs there. Know that they have success. Know that they like it. Know that they know everything about it. That's one of the biggest things. If you're going to take your dog to a facility, if you can find a personal recommendation, that's definitely a better way to go. But there's other things we can look for. Even if you do get a personal recommendation, guys, there's other things I want you to look for when you go to a boarding facility. Insurance. How about license for operating? Um, some states, some counties, some cities, they're going to have different rules and laws about how these things operate. Look, the sad thing is there really there is no national governance on on how dog facilities operate and even in state, there's really there's nothing watching them. There's nothing. There's no one walking in and inspecting past building inspectors, county inspector with the exception again if your uh, local place has different rules and ordinances. But on a national level and on a state level in Florida, there's nothing. There's nothing. So guys, ask to see their insurance or to ask to see a certificate that they're insured. Ask to see their business license. Look them up online. You don't even need to ask to see the business. You can go Google it now. You know, do your research. How about do a background check on the person that owns and operates the facility? Why not? I would. Um, <laughs> these are important things to understand. What if this person has an outstanding dog-related uh, offense in a different state that's not showing up? You know, it's not gonna. You're not gonna hear about that in your state. People are out there, and it's important that you 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 know where your dog is going. 
Okay, so that's the first thing. Those are the first things is just like law-abiding things you should look for. Are they insured? It's a big one, okay? Second thing is if you're going to these big facilities, ask for a tour. Say, I want to see the facility. I want to see everywhere. If there's places in the facility they won't show you, if you ask, oh, what's back there, and you get a, oh, oh, nothing, nothing, kind of response, those might be some red flags going up, guys. All right, I know a lot of these facilities now, they have cameras, oh, David, they have cameras in the play areas. They let me see all the social areas. Do the cameras aim at specific things in, in the facility and not in other areas? How do you know if you don't tour the facility? I know, guys, it stinks that we have to do this and like think like this, but there's too many instances that I hear of where dogs are getting in fights constantly at these facilities or it's operated by teenagers, so they're sitting on their cell phones the whole time, not watching the dogs. There's one place in particular, I'm not going to say who they are, but there's one facility in particular where you can see what's going on in their play yard outside and you watch and the, the teenagers operating this, well, operating, they're not operating, but you know what I mean, the, that, are, that are running the, the dog day camps they're sitting there on their phones distracted. They're not looking at the dogs at all. They're missing so many opportunities to prevent fights. And they just, nope, nope, not doing it. Not going to do my job. Well, it's probably not their job, right? That's the ha. There's the management side of it. Guys, management is everything, isn't it? Like you can go to one Publix and a different Publix and it's like a different world, which it's sad that Publix has even gotten like that now, but it's true. And it's all because of management. You can go to one store, uh, a chain and go to a different store, you know, chain and city down the road. And it's going to be a whole different experience. Why? Because of the management. Like we all think these are dog facilities. They're dog people. They're animal lovers. What guys know who's watching your dog. I don't know about you, and look, this is no offense to teenagers, but I don't want a bunch of 17-year-olds watching my dogs. Sure, there's going to be a few that are very responsible and can handle it, but on the whole, no, I don't want a group of 17-year-olds watching a group of dogs that could potentially harm each other, harm themselves. You know, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? So again, know who's operating the facility. It's very important. Take a tour of the facility. Know what's going on in there. Is it clean? Does it smell? All right. Other little things I like to look for at a boarding facility. What do all the dogs, when they take you on the tour, what do all the dogs look like? Do they all look really anxious? How about are there a lot of scratch marks all over the walls and there are corners and baseboards and are things ripped up in the facilities? That tells you if they're really providing for the dogs, if they're really giving them stimulation or not. Things you maybe wouldn't think to look for. Oh, David, it's a dog facility. So what? It's torn up by dogs. Guys, if they're allowing the dogs to be like that, I know, what do they do at home? But if they come to the facility and you allow these behaviors, what do you think mentally it's doing for your dog? I'm very hypercritical of these places. I know it. I can hear some of you going, geez, David. Yeah, I know too much. I have heard and seen too many horror stories in these places. I know what goes on there, guys. Open your eyes and you'll see it too. I know, David, what am I supposed to do with my dog? Look, my personal favorite, and again, this is just, this is, my personal favorite is to have somebody come to my home and watch my dogs there. I know my dogs are going to be comfortable. I know the instances of them potentially getting in trouble with other dogs are going to obviously be minimized to non-existent. 
maybe stresses your dog out less if they don't know how to be okay in a facility like that, because it can be a very uh, overstimulating environment. If your dog doesn't know how to deal with it, it might not be a good place for them. So yeah, I like the in-home people <laughs> that come to your house, watch the house, watch the property. There's another plus for that too. Um, I really like that. I'm a fan of that. But again, Make sure they're insured. Make sure they're reputable. Background checks. All of these things are very important, guys, for your dogs. So with that, let's talk about what happened uh, to the facility in my area. So this happened a couple weeks ago. And, you know, look, guys, I'll just I'll just tell you, the, the county sheriffs are investigating. There's an investigation into this now. The facility is closed down. And this doesn't look good. And basically, in a nutshell, from what I've read, from what I've heard, from what I understand, this was a training boarding facility. So they do board and train, but they also board your dogs just to board them. They do doggy day camps. They do Clyde, all these different things. And this woman has, I guess, close to 20 years experience who runs and operates the place. More experience than I have. What that experience is, who knows? I don't know. Okay, I don't know what that experience is, but supposedly close to 20 years experience and somebody boarded and I know guys get ready for it. Somebody boarded their two dogs with this facility and one of the dogs died in her care. Tough, like gut wrenching. And not only that, the second dog survived, um, but, and again, I don't know, I don't know if this is when they came to pick up the dogs. I don't know if somebody found them, if it was an employee, I, I don't know. But basically the second dog was severely dehydrated and had to be treated. And the first dog had, I guess, stuff coming out of its mouth when it was found. I mean, just, just not good stuff, guys. Like really not good stuff. And the crazy thing is this is only a couple of weeks ago. It has not been blistering hot here. We're not talking middle of, of August in, in Florida and South Florida, because it does. It gets, it gets brutal, and you have to be very careful with your pets in the Florida heat, and especially the South Florida heat, guys. The sun down here is no joke. So when it comes to pet safety, you've got to be cautious about this overheating stuff. But again, three weeks ago is not the middle of summer. So there's a lot of question marks and a lot of questions that have to be answered and that I can't answer, that I can't give you, I can't give you that info today. I don't know what's happening, but it's it's going to be it's going to be weeks. It's going to be a long time, uh, potentially. I think before this all really comes to light. Um, but gut, like gut wrenching makes me makes my stomach kind of churn because this woman's got experience. I mean, guys, it can it, that's the that's the crappy thing, right? There's that old saying that stuff happens, and sometimes things are out of our control, and that's why. You know, when I bring dogs into my care, I try to work hard and diligently to make sure they're all as safe as my own dogs are. You know, I try to care for other people's dogs as if they're my own when I bring them in. Um, it's, it's just, it's a tough thing to talk about, guys. It is because this is something no owner ever wants to come back from a vacation in here. Um, so, you know, it puts everybody in a tough spot, doesn't it? You have to trust somebody with your beloved pets, with your family members. So, look, the best you can do is do your research. I mean, I know that's like, David, the best you... 
guys, when you go to the dog park, you're taking a risk. You know what I mean? Like you are, you don't know what dog is going to walk in there, what irresponsible owner is going to come in there and what could happen when you take your child to the playground, when you get in your car and you go to work every day, right? These are all calculated risks we all take in our lives. And it's no different with boarding your dog. It's the truth of it. But what we hope is that we can do enough research, right? Enough reading, enough recommendations to know. Uh, to me, look, guys, I want to I wanna look the person in the eye who's watching my dogs too. I want to shake their hand, look them in the eye and know who they are, right? Um, but that's, 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 that's all we can do. That's all I know. I'm very proud to say that in the, I don't even know how many thousands upon thousands upon, I, I, I don't even know now. Like, I really don't even know how many dog nights, <laughs> how many nights of dogs I've had in my home over the years. And we've had very minimal incidents, guys. Like, honestly, it's statistically absurd in a good way <laughs> how few things we've had happen to dogs in my care. And I attribute that to my wife and I, how we are we are on time. My wife doesn't even do this for a living, right? It's just, but it's her help and her support um, that we try to do things smart. We try to do things responsibly. Uh, and we try to always do what's best for my client dogs, my dogs, dogs, animals. Isn't that what we, what we try to do? Uh, do what's best for the animals. So um, look, again, I don't want to end on like a Debbie Downer here, you know, be all gloom and doom. Um, but guys, when you do take your pets out for the holidays, when you do have to board them, just do your research, do your research, know who's watching your dogs, make sure they're insured, make sure they're licensed, make sure they have the pro. How about first aid? We didn't talk about that first aid CPR. How about that? Do they know how to provide that for your pet? Important stuff, guys. Um, Heimlich maneuver for a dog. Do they know how to do that? Because toys, things like that stuff happens, right? Things do happen. But what we hopefully can do is best prepare ourselves with knowledge. Imagine that. Uh, with knowledge and empower ourselves to try to deal with the unknown the best we possibly can. Uh, so find somebody responsible. Do your research. And I hope you guys and your pets do have a safe and happy holiday. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we'll be talking about Lyndon B. Johnson. Now he served as president from 1963 to 1969. He assumed the office after the assassination of JFK. Now, his presidency was marred by the Vietnam War. We're not really going to talk about that today. Let's just talk about his love of dogs. Yeah. Now his wife, uh, her nickname was Lady Bird Johnson. Interesting fact, Lady Bird Johnson, LBJ, same initials as Lyndon B. Johnson. Yes, but when they first came to the White House, they brought two beagles along with them. And when he moved in, uh, he, you know, he looked at the doghouse and said, this doghouse will not do. <laughs> Neither to enlarge it, make it fancier. So much so that the press actually dubbed the doghouse the palace. <laughs> now, uh, interestingly, he had a famous photograph. Some of you have probably seen this before. A famous photograph where he was presenting his beagle to the press for a picture, lifting the dogs up by their ears. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, now, the print was in Life magazine and, of course, garnered the attention of many dog lovers around the country. They sent angry letters, phone calls. They were not happy about the incident. Now, LBJ was a little taken back by their reactions. He did make an official apology, and he said, I've been pulling him's, don't forget the dog's name is him, I've been pulling him's ears since he was a pup, and he seemed to like it. 
Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. The article in, in Life did say, though, that the dogs were actually very well taken care of, very happy, and they were lucky to live such a privileged life in the White House. Now, the dogs were normally seen around the grounds, and, well, they even participated in uh, meetings with dignitaries and heads of state. They were always around. Him was bred with another beagle in 1965, and two of the pups from the litter, Freckles and Kim, were given to the president's daughter, Lucy. After Lucy got married, Kim went to live with her at her new home, uh, new home while Freckles actually stayed behind at the White House. Now, unfortunately, him and her, they both died at a young age. Yes, her died after swallowing a stone in 1965, and him died after getting hit by a car chasing a squirrel across the White House lawn. Now, the Johnsons did have another dog named Blanco. Uh, Blanco was actually a white collie, and Blanco was a gift from a nine-year-old girl in Illinois named Lois Nelson. Now, the president accepted the dog, but said that this dog was symbolic of all the other dogs gifted to him, and he would not be accepting any more dogs. I mean, can you imagine, like, as president, this was a very common thing, as we've learned on this segment, it's fascinating, you know, you don't even hear about it. People tried gifting the president dogs, all the different presidents' dogs, left and right. So it's not like he could just be a dog sanctuary and president, right? It's just, that's not going to work so well. Now, while Blanco was one of the president's favorites, he was not always very well behaved, as we also have learned as a common theme among presidential dogs. He was actually known to be a little nervous, and he ended up biting other dogs, once biting him, the dog him, gets a little confusing, requiring stitches. Yikes. Uh, the president's favorite dog, though, very favorite dog, was actually a little white mutt named Yuki. Now, Yuki means snow in Japanese. Yuki was actually found abandoned at a gas station in Texas on Thanksgiving Day in 1966. Johnson and Yuki were really inseparable. He would attend cabinet meetings, he'd sit in the Oval Office with him, and he'd even go swimming in the White House pool with Yuki. Now, they shared a very special bond together. As LBJ's grandson, Lyndon Nugent, put it, they shared a very significant bond that personified the American spirit. Only in America could a poor boy from Johnson City end up in the White House. Now, at the end of his presidency, LBJ flew home to his ranch with Yuki, accompanying him on Air Force One uh, for the trip. Now, according to reports, Yuki was actually right by the president's side when he passed away in 1973. After his death, Yuki went to live with his daughter Lucy and her family, and he passed away in 1979 at the ripe old age of around 13 or 14 years old. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Brian from Houston, Texas. Brian says, my, dog's like, uh, my dog likes to dig holes in my backyard, and it has got to stop. We have had him for about four months. He's around a year old, and he's a Border Collie mix. What can I do to stop this from happening? All right, Brian. Um, look, digging almost always is a cry from your dog that he's bored. Uh, it's just, that's kind of the truth. And a bored dog needs more stimulation. So look, you've got a border collie mix. This is a very smart dog, very, very intelligent breed. We all know border collies are really smart. Um, be interesting to see what else he's bred with because, you know, if he's mixed with other smart breeds, Brian, you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> look, the smart ones get themselves into trouble because they get bored easily, right? 
First thing I have to say is, are you, you know, I've kind of asked you, are you walking your dog? How is the quality of the walk? Because that's where it's got to start, Brian. Um, you know, look, the best way to stimulate our dogs is to give them their most natural instinctual job. And that's a pack walk. Quality of that walk is going to matter. So we've got to look at that too. Um, if your walk is kind of all over the place, it's a free for all, that's not going to have the same effect. I, I definitely, Brian, you got to go back and listen to some of my previous segments on the walk. Really important we get that under control. Okay. Once the quality of the walk is there, bad news for you, Brian, you got a border collie. You got a border collie mix. This is a dog who needs a lot of walks and a lot of stimulation. Look, the reality is border collies are really, they're farm dogs. Their life is meant to be spent on a farm. And it's not to say they can't adapt to, to the regular world, to suburbia. Uh, it's not to say they can't, but we have to give them a lot of stimulation to create that balance, to, to let them succeed in a non-farm life. Um, so that starts with the walk. And then the quantity, so we could talk about the quality. It's like, what about the quantity? Your dog is probably, you know, like it's digging in your yard. It's telling you you're not walking him enough. He needs to go for more walks, longer walks, change up the location of the walk, uh, different environments, different smells, different scents, sights, sounds, all these different things to see to help create more stimulation. How about trick training? Right, Border Collies are phenomenal at obedience or trick training, those kind of fun things that we can incorporate. Really, Brian, when it comes down to it, you've gotta be providing your dog more mental stimulation because your dog is bored and your dog is only around one years old. It's young, still got a lot of puppy energy too. So we've gotta be getting this stuff out in a healthy way because what's happening is they're getting it out in an unhealthy, he's getting it out rather, in an unhealthy way. So if we can start to get this energy out in healthy channels, that unhealthy stuff like the digging will go away. All right, proper walk, proper quantity and quality of the walk, right? More stimulation, trick training, obedience. Hey, how about agility? All these different things. We Maybe doggy day camp once or twice a week. Lots of different stuff we can do, but you gotta be supplementing it more because uh, that's really what the digging's telling you. On top of that, then you gotta go outside and actually tell them to stop digging in the yard. There's that aspect of it too. But honestly, most of the time, digging goes away when you provide the proper amount of stimulation for your dog. Next question. This comes from Sybil from Ocala, uh, Ocala, Florida. Excuse me. I know where Ocala is. Not everybody else does. <laughs> Sybil from Ocala, Florida says, I cannot get my dog to come to me when called if he's outside and distracted. That we have a pretty big fenced area he can go out in, but it's so big he can be pretty far away from me and it's hard to get him back. What can I do? All right, uh, Sybil, look, very simply put, you can't let your dog have this much freedom for a little while. Uh, you got to get a long training leash, like a 50 foot long training leash, and you got to start small. Now, start with like two feet of leash. You don't have to start with the training leash. Start with just like two feet of leash um, and just getting your dog's attention out in the yard, right? Maybe that kissing noise, if you've heard me talk about that before, redirect your dog's focus to you, okay? Start with just a short leash, redirecting the focus, giving him a treat. Now, I want you to find a treat that your dog goes crazy for. We gotta find something meaty, delicious. This is where I oftentimes will recommend like a liver treat. And then I only want you to bring out this treat for getting him to come back to you, for the recall outside, for this exercise. That treat does not get eaten at any other time, so it makes it a little more special and a little more desirable, being that he doesn't get it all the time, okay? So I want you to start with just that two feet of leash, get him to look at you, feed it, get him to look at you, feed it, out in the yard. Then you'll give him like 10, 20 feet of leash and get him. And if, and if he doesn't come to you, once you give him some space, that's why we have the 20, 50 foot leash. Reel him in like a fish, okay? Bring him into you, give him that treat, even if you have to reel him in the first few times, okay? 
then hopefully we can start to build off of that, that once he gets 20, 30 feet away and I've reeled him in, he'll start getting the idea and go, oh, I don't even need to wait to be reeled in. I'm going to come bolt in for you because I want that liver treat. Okay. Slowly but surely, you're going to give him little bits of more freedom still on this leash while maintaining the recall. Okay. Then once you really feel like he's getting the hang of it and getting come, then we might drop the 50 foot leash, let him drag it around a little and try to get him to come to me, come to you rather. If he doesn't come to you, we can still walk over, pick up that 50 foot leash, reel him back in, go back to that last place we had success, reinforce it, and then try to move forward. But my, the biggest thing is you've got to take away the freedom for a little while and contain it. Show him what you want from a small, you know, come back to me from two feet away feet, come back to me two feet away feet over and over and over, 10 feet over and over and over, 20 feet over and over and over, 30 feet over and over and over. Strengthen it little baby steps at a time so that way when it's 100 feet away, it doesn't even matter. It's just like it's two feet away, okay? But if we let it go too early, if we give him too much freedom too fast, you're never gonna get it back. Start with baby steps, work your way up to it, okay? That's the best advice I can give you. Recalls are really simple, People, I think, don't spend enough time being consistent with their baby steps and gaining baby steps of success because they want that big 200 yards away recall. Guys, Rome wasn't built in a day, neither was a recall with your dog. <laughs> Take your time, build it slowly, strengthen it over time, and your dog will be coming back to you in no time. The answer to today's trivia question, what amphibians have tails? It's salamanders. Yes, the salamander is the name for the entire group or scientific order of amphibians that have tails. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. And if you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.